So we finished Genesis 50. We just finished Genesis last week. So um, the other church is finishing it today. So we're or the other service. So we're, we've got an extra kind of week. Next week we'll do a Calvary Chapel distinctive, um, which I'm I'll, I'll send out a reading assignment here shortly. Um, but today we're going to talk about the gospel. And how do we live our lives as Christians? Because that seems to be a question that we keep getting and keep coming back to. Um, so I want to look at some of the mis-ideas that people have and where it is in Scripture that it's a mis-idea. And then I want to look at some of the ideas in Scripture and, and what we should do and how we should walk as Christians. Because now that we're saved, now what? I believe the gospel now what? I said a prayer, now what? And so it's it's important to kind of cover this because people need to know what's next. Many people in the past, that's not the right one. Many people in the past believe that you're um, led from the um, the gospel back to the law. And, and if you really look at that, if you really... Um, examine it through scripture as Martin Luther the the old um, uh, priest did he saw in Galatians the freedom that, that we have through through um, through the gospel through Jesus Christ and that it doesn't lead us back to the law but we'll get to that so how do we live our life? what's the truth? what's the way? how do I live as a Christian is kind of the title for this so, originally, the people who believed in Jesus were called, not called Christians. They were called followers of the way. And you can see that in Acts 9, 1 and 2. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so it's it's very curious that that originally we were taught the, the name of the the Jewish people that believed in Christ was called followers of the way. That means that there's a way to go, that it's not just I'm saved and now I can live however I want to live. It's that we have a way of life. Um, and they get that name from uh, John uh, 14.6 when Jesus is saying like, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. <coughs> he didn't say that I'm the law. He didn't say that I'm the rules. He says that I'm the way. And so there's this this interesting idea of, of this. there's a way that we walk. I'm going to kind of like go a little slowly through this because this is a work in progress. Um, this will be really fast and I'm looking forward to doing this in Japanese so I need to find all the holes and pits and stuff. So... Mm. So ultimately, we're supposed to look to Jesus and the way that he lived his life. Take a step back, right? Ultimately, we're supposed to look at God and how, how he loves us and how he lived on this earth and how he walked and how he died. This is very different than the Old Testament. This is very different because there you had 613 rules that people had to follow to be right with God. Um, and you had to do it from birth, you had to do it your whole life, and you had to do it not only outwardly, like many of the Pharisees and Sadducees thought they were doing, but you had to do it inwardly too. And when you did that, your entire life, you did all 613 laws, you never transgressed it once, then you literally earn your salvation. 
So there is two ways to heaven. One, you can be perfect and sinless from birth. Or, as you're going to see, you need to follow Jesus and let him um, be your Lord and Savior and let his life be attributed to your life. Um, let's see, I've got a list of, of the 613, and, and some of them are really easy. Some of them are really hard. Some of them we do without even realizing it. And... and, and it's no way to live life. They tried. They've tried many, many times just to live life by rules. The Pharisees and Sadducees made rules on top of rules so that you wouldn't even get near trying to trespass on that rule. But those rules on top of rules don't even address the heart. So we need to be very aware of of our hearts and what's going on. Um, yeah. And so they were working on their own righteousness. And so like a cheater way of remembering what righteousness is, is rightness before God. So we, we want to be right before God so that on that final day when we were standing before God, Jesus, and judgment, and, and we're not being judged by our righteousness because our righteousness is really like terrible. It's like filthy rags, it says in the scriptures, that it, it doesn't even approach the righteousness of God. It's so far apart. Our good works compared to God's goodness are, are two very different places. And so we're always seeking, well, everyone will seek to be establish their righteousness before God. And Many people do of their own power. Look at the good things that I did. Look at how kind I was. Look at what I gave away. But we will see that that's not the standard. The standard's perfection. It's not good works. It's perfection. <laughs> and and God knows we can't do that. So that we'll see that we can't do it. And that there's a point to that. That drives us back to God. It's impossible. Um... And I was just to reemphasize that it's not just outwardly. Because many people think it's just outwardly. Like, look, I look like a good person. Japanese society is very much like that. I look like I have it all together. I look like I, I can handle everything. My family's, you know, held together when we're outside. And everyone acts the way they're supposed to. But when we get in, indoors or when we get behind closed doors, it's just... It's not so. We've got the, there's so much turmoil and bubbling up of anger and bitterness and wrath and just everything that it. The heart is not addressed, which cannot be addressed by any real human beings. No self-help book. No anything can even touch our hearts. It can touch the outwardness, but but not our hearts. But Jesus is always after the hearts. If you remember in Matthew five twenty-one twenty-two, you've heard it said of. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. So that's like an outward action. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So literally just thinking, you idiot, you fool. He says that you're going to be in danger of hellfire for those thoughts. So like driving around and someone cuts you off or a bicycle swerves out in front of you. Or like we have such, it's, it's sin is in so deeply inside of us that we instantly sin. We go, ah, what an idiot. And we just, we, it's just so prevalent. But God says you got to get rid of that. If you want to be saved, you need to get that out of your life. And that's a hard thing to do. And it also says, you have heard that it said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with 
her in his heart. So it's not just about the outward things. It's not just about this mask. This mask is, is it going to save anybody? It's about our hearts and the condition of our hearts. And that's, that's the most important thing. Now, the reason that, you know, 50% I'm good, 70% I'm good, 80% I'm good. I follow all these rules and I've done it since youth. Like what's the, what, won't God round up on the curve like a college professor? And unfortunately, with the law, he will not. Because it says in Deuteronomy 27, 26, Curse is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. So he just got done giving out a whole bunch of the laws, a part of the 613. And the la one of the last curses is, You'll be cursed if you don't do all the things in the law. So you literally, it says in the Bible, you have to do all the things in the law in the Old Testament. Now, now that that's a that's a pretty sorry place to be because we can't do that. That as as we've been talking about, we it's impossible to do all that. And so that law condemns us each and every time we go to it. When we open up the law, sometimes we go, oh yeah, I can do that. I haven't murdered anybody. <coughs> I haven't committed adultery with anybody, but but it's not the outward, it's the inward. And when you read Jesus' teaching, he's not changing the law. He's making it deeper and saying, hey, look, your heart is where that law should really, really affect. Not your outwardness. It should start in your heart and flow outward. And He, God gives us these perfect standards. And the, the standards are perfect. They are good. They are not bad. Jesus literally fulfills all of them, and Jesus is perfect, so, so we can say that the law is good, and it is profitable, but it was not intended for us to live by. We can, we can try to live by it, and I know lots of people that try to live by it, but the problem with trying to live by the law is that you fail. I, I even for myself I set laws. Oh, I'll never do that. I'll never I'll never take money from from someone. Oh, I'll I'll never ask for help or I I my kids will never do that. And we set up these impossible rules that we can't meet. And it's the the and those are just temporary human made ones. We're talking about perfect laws that are true from eternity past to eternity future, and it is impossible for us to do if it were possible then we would all be at some point in time sinless and we'll get to some of the, those claims later but it's it's impossible to do the law so what do we do um because many christians think that once you're saved by the gospel it drives us back to the law now that you have the holy spirit now you can do the law but that's not what the bible says the bible just doesn't say go back to the old testament go back and get circumcised stop eating pork that's not what the bible says <coughs> we have a new commandment from Jesus. He he re, he reaffirmed a lot of the commandments. He didn't really tell us to do them, but the one commandment that he does give us, the one commandment I don't think we give enough attention because it's hard, because the world can't figure it out, because it takes study and work. And this one new commandment is found in John 13, 34. And it says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, this is this is where I'm going to say this is the law that you need to follow. This is what I'm going to tell you is the gospel that saves you, but also that we should live each day remembering this commandment. Now, this is your homework. 
Memorize this verse. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, this should drive you to a few questions. What kind of love is that? What is Jesus doing? What has Jesus done in the past and now that loves us, that shows us the love of him? And and I just want to point out also that like this is one of the commandments that he, God could have never given Moses or any of the prophets. He could have never given this command to one of those people because they didn't see Jesus walk on this earth. They didn't see Jesus healing people. They didn't see, well, they didn't see God healing people. They didn't see God walking on this earth like Jesus walked on the earth. They didn't see God dying on a cross for their sins. So, so this commandment could not have been given any earlier in the Old Testament. It only had, it had to come through Jesus Christ. You had to see the compassion and care that he showed people. The people that were not Israelites, that were Gentiles. The people that hated him. Religious leaders, sinners, drunkards, adulterers. We had to see how God dealt with them. Because that's now our example. Because we're going to be followers of the way. And if Jesus is the way, then we need to follow Jesus. And so, the one of the questions you should drive, like, how do we love? The world has all these funny ideas about what love means. In the Greek, there are, I think, five to seven different words for what we would now say love. There's erotic love, and marriage love, and motherly love, and brotherly love, and there's, there's just different words for love. So, And we'll get to agape love, which is uh, <coughs> unconditional love. So what does unconditional love look like? Well, that should drive you back to the, the New Testament. Let's go look at the Gospels and see how Jesus lived, how he walked, what he said to people that, that hated him, what he said to people that liked him, what he said to people that uh, that were a part of the government, What just, just each and every relationship, each and every interaction that Jesus had. We need to look at and say, like, what can I learn from this? Because if Jesus is the way that I need to walk, then how did he walk? And I just, I'm going to point out, like, again, like the faith and trust in the gospel is where we're headed. Is more than once in the past. I said a prayer, now I'm done, now I'm saved, now what? Now I don't. I can go back to living my life however I want? No. The gospel is for the walk of each believer each and every day. It's for me today, it's for you today. And Paul knew this, and I don't know if anyone's noticed this, but in Romans 1.15... Paul's writing this letter to the Church of Rome. Like, there's a bunch of believers, because it's such an international port, that their churches have spontaneously sprung up because of Paul's missionary journeys. And and so there are believers that are gathering together. And Paul's writing this letter to them. And in the first chapter, in verse 15 of Romans, he says, So, as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul is writing a letter to believers. And he's going to go preach the gospel to them. Not to those other people in Rome, but to the believers in Rome. Paul wants to teach the gospel to believers. And so there's an important idea there that the gospel is much more than just a prayer that we said. That the gospel is much more of a, a checklist. I believe these things now I'm saved. The gospel is useful for life and for walking. So let's look at how we use it, how we need to think about it, how do we need to frame it for us to walk in. And so the, here's a, a short list of, 
of the gospel, which is what I learned from Young Life and that I teach because it's a useful way for me to keep it organized. Um, I can drop some parts out sometimes, but it just depends on who I'm talking to and, and where they're entering into the conversation. And we'll talk about kind of that if we have time. So one is creation. Two, the fall. Three, the law. Four, the birth of a savior. Five, the life of a savior, of the savior. Six, the death of the savior. And seven, the resurrection of the savior. So there's these seven kind of acts that I have in my brain that I kind of filter most of the stuff into to talk to people. We're going to go through each one of these a little longer. Not real long. We don't have a lot of time, but that's what I want to do as I'm developing this idea as we're having these conversations and thinking about the gospel. And each one can be elaborated and different things can be highlighted depending on who you're talking to and how, how it is. And so this is not a list of rules, but it's a relationship with our creator. It's, it's much like marriage. We live by relationship, not by law in our marriage. I don't do the dishes to earn my wife's love. I don't take out the trash to earn the dinner that she makes. I do them because of love, not because of rules. And so I want to follow the gospel and share the gospel out of love, not out of rules. So... I'll talk about creation for a second and kind of the jumping off point that, that you can use this gospel for your life and how we filter information, how we live our lives. God created everything and it was good. That's the that's amazing praise the Lord. He created nature and he created human beings and it was all good. And he called it very good for human beings. And it says that God made Adam and Eve in, in his image, meaning that God, that man and women are both in the image of God. Not one uh, is more important than the other. We're equal in the sight of God. But God made them in different roles. He made Adam first, and he gave the, the rules, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was Adam's role to tell Eve. It was Adam's role to lead because he was made first. This is just how it is. This is what the Bible reveals. And, and, and real quick, real fast, like, so how many sexes are there? And just because we're living in a world that's getting confused, there's two sexes. There's men and women. This is what God created. There's no third option. There's no, I don't know. It's how God created you. This is how you need to walk. You, yes, you. someone may be born thinking that I'm a, I'm in a man's body, but I'm a woman. But that's not necessarily true. God doesn't make mistakes. And, and we have... All of us have sins that we need to go over. And when you want to take something that is true and turn it into a lie <clears throat> for your own truth, then you're playing God. You're doing exactly what the serpent did to Eve. And he's saying, well, God made a mistake. Did not God say this? And they're twisting God's word. They're twisting the truth. And, and we just need to love the Lord as the Lord made us and be content because changing our our sex or gender or whatever the appropriate word is isn't going to make us happy the happiness is not found in our physical body our happiness is not found in our job or our marriage partner or our um, bank accounts it's not found there it's only found in god and and people get distracted and, and seek after other things because they think it'll make them happy men have much easier lives i want to be a man women have much easier lives on that's not true it's, everyone's got a hard life and you're you're idolizing something that that isn't. Um, so also talking about the Garden of Eden and how how many spouses should we have? Oh, this isn't a normal question I get, but but here we have one man Adam and one woman Eve. It's simple. Like this is how God designed marriage: one man in a marriage, one woman in a marriage. 
He didn't give Adam choices. He made one helper for her. And we saw the order of importance. And and the the model of the, the church is also uh, modeled after this this role of Adam and Eve. And we can learn, like in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, uh, that Christ is the head. He's the groom of the church, and, and the church is the wife. And so Christ is leading the church, and and we the bride are supposed to follow and and a lot of and this is how it's supposed to work this is how it works best god this is how god designed it but you'll see in marriages often the the wife wants to lead where where she's supposed to be the helper she wants to lead and so then they think oh we can just switch the role roles husband you be the helper and i'll lead but you've given this man a job that he's not equipped for, that he's not good at, that God didn't design him for. So he basically does a terrible job or doesn't do it at all. So the woman then is also the, the helper and the leader, so she gets all the work. And guess what happens to that marriage? It falls apart because he's not, he's not contributing. He's not, doing, he's not helping me the way that I think he needs to help me. And, and, and it's because we're reversing the roles. And in the same way, if the church, if the church leads and asks God to follow... That's wrong too. God, be with me as I go do this thing, and it's it's us being the Lord of our lives or Lord of the church, not God. So we need to again, like the model in the Acts, like pray for God to give leading and guidance because He will give leading and guidance if you'll let Him. Don't rush ahead. Don't think that you know best. Let the Lord lead, as He it says in Ephesians five twenty two through thirty three that He is the head of the church, just like He called men to be the head of the marriages. It's a long study for another time, but but that's the model that we get out of creation. This is so. If you've got questions about marriage or sex or anything, just think about the creation. Go back to the beginning. Jesus does. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's more than good enough for me. So next, we think about the fall. Number two, the fall. So man sinned. Technically, it was Eve that started it. Technically, it was the snake that tempted Eve. But we see the blame always in the Bible back on Adam. Because Adam is, is the leader. Adam is the, the first created. It was his true choice that created the sin that we, we read about in scriptures. It's It falls back on Adam. When when the man of the, of the marriage of the household isn't leading well, it's his blame. And what is sin, real quick, for anyone that's listening that doesn't know, um, in Japanese it means like committing a big crime, like murder. <coughs> but what it really just means is that God has asked us to do certain things, and we say instead, no, I don't want to do that, I want to do what I want to do. It makes ourselves God, it makes us to play God, and we do what we want to do. And so that that's really sin, where, where God is is Lord and is asking you to do things, and asking you not to do certain things. And you say, no, thanks, I want to be Lord of my life, and you do something else. And he asked them not to eat of the tree, and they did, because that's what humans do. Hey, here's a sign that says, wet paint, don't touch. What's our human natures do? Ah, I want to touch that. <laughs> stay off the grass. Like, all of the grass? Like, both feet, one one foot? Like, what do you mean, stay off the grass? Can I run through it real quick? I just go to the other, other sidewalk. Like, humans love to push. And it's funny, Adam's act of creation, like God created all this stuff, he created it good, and Adam, Adam's act of creation was to make sin. It, it, it's nothing compared to what God made, and it's, it's, it's just awful, 
the sin that's in the world. Why, why is there evil in the world? Because people constantly want to be God. And they want to do what they want to do. And they don't want to do what God has asked them to do. What has called us to do. And the Father reminds us that we are responsible for our sins before God. We are fully deserving of punishment. Because God is good and just. And so this is what the Father reminds us of. We're sinners. Every one of us. I don't care who you are. How good you appear. How many uh, letters you have after your name. Or how much money you've given to charity. We're all sinners. We're all deserving of death and judgment. And we use the phrase, I am saved. What are you saved from? We don't ever talk about it. It's just this kind of Christianese word. And we are literally saved from God. God's wrath and punishment is coming upon the world to those that don't believe. We are saved from God. But we're also saved by God, which we'll get to in the gospel. And we're also saved for God. God has a purpose for each one of us. Um, so yeah, the sin that we create separates us from God. We used to walk in the garden with God and, and now we don't. We can't. We're separated by sin. We can't, can't even come into a relationship without his son. Everyone needs salvation. Everyone. There's no separation from Adam and Eve. There's no like other class of people. Everyone comes from Adam and Eve. Everyone is uh, guilty of the sin. And everyone has a chance and opportunity to come back to God. It's simple. There is no, he made uh, Adam and Eve and then he made, you know, Moroni and these other people in North America. Like there's no separation of, of people that God made. God made one one set of people and we're all the same we're all we all have the same capacity we all have the same sin we all have the same ability to worship and and like we were just talking yoko here we're not used car salesmen talking about christianity like how, how great it is we're, we're like doctors telling people about their their terminal illness and what the cure is we are all sick we the symptoms are sin but what what the real big problem is it's our sinful heart and that's what we need to do is just tell people the truth and say, this is the cure, this is the treatment. But but it's hard, like we were talking about. It's hard. But there is a cure. There is salvation. There is something to get us away from it. And, and we don't deserve it. And we haven't earned it. Mm-hmm. And so now that we, how do we live now that we have fallen, now that we know that we're sinners? But... It's, it's amazing what God d- did and, and what we're reminded of in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us. God's loving us in this act. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I, we'll get to this, but it's not a plan B. God knew that we were going to be sinners. God knew we weren't going to be good people. And, and he still went and died for us. And what amazing love is exhibited because of our God. And then we get to the law. So after after everything was good and perfect, we screwed up. And so God said, this is how you can get right with me. This is how you can come back in relationship with me. And, and he gives 613 laws to Moses and, and, ta- and talks about the perfection. And, and we know the law is good like we've been talking about. So it says in Romans 7, 12, the, therefore the law is holy. And the commandments holy and just and good. So there is nothing wrong with the law. But there's something wrong with us because we can't do it. We have such a sinful nature. And we have such trust, this 1 Corinthians 3, 4, and 6, and we have such trust through Christ toward God that 
We are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, for, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter of the Spirit, but for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We're, we're not sufficient. We can't save ourselves. We can't bring enough righteousness to God to get us into heaven. It's impossible, the righteousness we make. It's not good enough. And so the law always condemns us. And we need to remember that, that the law drives us back to needing a Savior. The law drives us to say, hey, I'm not good enough. I need help. And that's what the purpose of the law is. And that law, when we look at it, we're seeing what, what God sees us, that we are so fallen and we're so far away from him that we can't even, can't save ourselves and can't be good enough. And then we look at number four, the birth of a Savior. And, and we see that, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't plan B that through the Old Testament, there's always these nuggets, these these clues, these hints that Jesus, the Savior, would be coming because from the beginning, God knew that we weren't going to be good enough, that we he knew we were going to sin, so God provided a way for us to find salvation. And many people are attacking Jesus now that he's just a man, he's just a, he's an angel, and, and this is where cults depart from traditional uh, Christianity. And, and the, it's terrifying the, who they think uh, Jesus is. So I talked to some Muslims occasionally, and they hold that Jesus is just a man. He's the only sinless prophet. Now here's one huge problem with that idea. If Jesus is just a man, and he lived a perfect life, then we too should be able to live a perfect life. And and that's impossible. I've met a whole bunch of people, and it's, I haven't met anyone even close to being sinless or perfect. So the, the Muslim thinks he's just a man. And if that's true, then like, how did he live us in this life? How did he do that? Because if he was perfect and he lived a perfect life, that means that he earned his salvation and he gets to go to heaven while the rest of us don't have a chance. We don't. But praise the Lord that that's not who he was. He wasn't just a man that lived a perfect life. He was God who came down to live a perfect life on, on for us so that we can go to heaven and be with him because he's always wanting to reconcile people and bring people back together. This is uh, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet swelling aroma. So, here's an interesting thing about the Jehovah Witnesses. They don't think that Jesus was God. They think he was an angel. So, here, in this nice passage in Ephesians 5, 5.1, it says, Be imitators of God. So, the Jehovah Witnesses, if Jesus is just an angel, <clears throat> he's an, a separate entity being entirely from himself. So, that means that God uses other people to accomplish things. So I can use servants, and I can use slaves, and I can use employees, and I, I can even I can put them to death for my purposes. That's how you want me to imitate God? It's not love. He's a boss that, that gets things done in the most horrendous way possible. That he sends someone else to go die for sins that he didn't commit. So I can, I can send people to, I can fire people for things they didn't do in the office. That means I can, I can beat one child of mine for the the mistakes of another child that doesn't make any sense at all that's not what the bible says be imitators of god as dear children because he sent jesus jesus came down to live a perfect life for us and it's such 
twisting of God's word, what these other cults do, then you remove the deity of Christ. So if if God, if Jesus is God, which he is. So, so wait, let me rephrase that. So Jesus being God was in conversation with God, the Father, and, and they decided that this is how they were going to reconcile it. And so he voluntarily comes to sacrifice his life for us. Not a, a separate entity, not something else. He's, he is fully aware of what's happening and, and what he's doing. And so that's that's the amazing thing. That's the 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 humbleness that we have to follow that. Instead of being first, he comes and be last. As he says many, many times, he came to be a servant. He came to heal other people. He came to, to serve other people. And it says like in Philippians, just to push the point, like Philippians 2, 5, and 8, let this mind be in you. So let the, again, we're talking about the way and how to live our lives. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. So this is the mindset. Who being in the form of God, I mean, you're on top of everything. You made everything. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So whereas we may be the top of a company, we may be the boss of something, we may be up here. We don't need to have that mindset that we're here. We need to set our mind here and be a servant to other people. Even though we we are the boss, we need to serve other people. Just like in the in the households, as husbands, we may be at the top of the, the, the chain per God's rules, but he says that we should serve as Jesus served, which is to, to live a life of sacrifice. And so we see this 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 characteristics of God of meekness and humbleness. And and that's what we need to all exemplify. If someone's hungry or cold, we need to feed them at our own expense and comfort because that's what God did. That's that's what he, he did. And so as we live our lives and think about the gospel, like that's how we need to live our lives as a humble person, putting other people before us, putting our own comforts because God didn't need anything. God wasn't ever cold. God wasn't ever hungry. But he he shed that perfection. He didn't really shed it. He, he took on human form and, and came to earth where he was cold. He was hot. He was hungry. He did have to suffer. Can, what can we do to suffer for other people? How can we give our life for others, for family members, for other students? And then number five is the life of a Savior. So, um, again, this is real real easy. If you want to know how to live your life, look at Jesus' life. Look how he walked. We've got four gospel accounts. We've got letters about what happened. and And we just see that this is the way they speak. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, really talks about, like, this is what we need to be looking at. God, who at various times and various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets. God used to speak through people. But in these last days, spoken to us by his Son, whom he also appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So he was the mirror image of God while he was down here. And this is how God has finally spoken. There is no need for any more further revelation. He's spoken past times by prophets. Now he speaks by his son, Jesus Christ. Um... So we can literally look at his life 
and how he deals with the Samaritan woman by the well, who was an adulterer. She'd been married five times. How did Jesus talk to her? Well, he loved her. He didn't say, oh, you're such a sinner. You're impossible. I can't help you. He didn't go to the, the demon-possessed men tombs and be like, oh, you're so demon-possessed. You've been dealing with all sorts of evil things. I can't save you. I'm not going to talk to you. He didn't do that. Look at how Jesus loved people. Look at how Jesus entered into their lives. Went to the people that were unlovable or on the outside of society. He went to the crowds, but he also went to individuals on the outside of the crowds that are hurting. And, and that's just the way that we need to live our life. He healed people. And, and we don't have the ability to heal people entirely, but we've got the ability to love people. Many people are alone and need relationship and need community. And they don't want to admit it, but they're all hurting. Everyone is, has broken relationships. And there's a lot of ways that we can help heal people and we can help people the, the way that Jesus would love, but that's, that's for us to consider because we've got different ta talents and different ways that we can do that. <clears throat> Number six, the death of our Savior. Jesus was crucified. We're supposed to live a life like Jesus. We're all supposed to die a life like Jesus. He was ridiculed and beaten for things that he didn't do, and then he died on the cross for our sins. <clears throat> so how do we live our life like our Savior? How do we live the way? Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So our service, our way of life, is to live a life of sacrifice. And yes, Jesus died on a cross. We have our own crosses. We have our own burdens to bear. But it's, it's not the cross. That was Jesus' job. What job does God have for you? What purpose does God have for you in your life? Is it to, to serve a neighborhood? Is it to serve homeless people? Is it to serve your family? We each have our, our reasonable sacrifice that we're supposed to lay down our life. Die die to ourselves so that others may be able to, to know him through love. Because that's why Jesus went to the cross, so that we would be reconciled with God. So how can we reconcile people? By giving of our lives. Uh, Matthew sixteen twenty four through 26 Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit it, um, for what will it profit a man if he gains the world, and, uh, the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So he's saying, like, take up your cross. These are Jesus' own words. Take up your cross, your burden. And we each have a different cross, which we've been saying. And we're each reconciled. I love this passage in Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So it's it's his life that saves us, and his death that reconciles us with God. So we need to always remember that that, that it's our our lives that we can give for other people that, that will help reconcile them, because we're going to be dying to self to introduce people to Jesus. And we need to remember that each day we need to preach the good news through our words, through our actions, through everything we do, and tell people that our sins no longer held against them. I mean, it's a great news. It's amazing news. I've done in there, and this is the most amazing and fantastic thing, and I'm approaching 39 minutes. We'll, we'll get done with this, and it will be done soon. But this is the most amazing thing. This this resurrection of the Savior after being seen by over 500 people is one of the most important things. We have hope. We have uh, the, a God that doesn't stay dead. A God that, that loved us. A God that forgave us. A God that prayed for us. 
and he doesn't stay dead in a very practical way like for marriages uh, many people say oh my marriage is dead my spouse doesn't love me it's it's over uh, i'm gonna get a divorce but if you believe the law remember we don't believe the law the law says it's okay to get a divorce but the gospel says i can bring dead things to life and if you think it's impossible to fix your marriage think how impossible it is to bring a person back from the dead the gospel says, I can bring, God says, I can bring things back from the dead. If you've got broken relationships, I can fix those. If your marriage is dead, I can fix that. And and so the law says, don't worry about it. Moses says, you can get, get rid of divorce and it's fine. Don't worry about that. God says, I can redeem it. I can make it better than new. I can give it a, a new life if you'll let me work in your life. So many people give up in marriage or whatever it is and friendships and relationships and and they don't let the Lord work to redeem those things the law says death the gospel says life and so people can be hurt <clears throat> and want revenge and the law says get an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth get revenge is what people will interpret it as but the gospel says forgive them commit the relationship to the Lord and he can heal it, and he can set it back together as we show love, as we walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit that's within us. And that resurrection is the key to the gospel. It's the hope that we have. It's how we live a life different, set apart from the rest of the world, because the rest of the world says, get even. Climb up on other people. Make yourself the best. Don't forgive them. Let it die. There's another woman out there for you. But the gospel says, I can fix this. What the world intended for evil, God can intend for good if we'll let him. So this is how we need to live our lives. This is what we need to remember when we need to, to make decisions. When, how do we think about the war? How do we think about race <clears throat> and marriage and children? Think about the way that the Lord thinks about it. That's that's the living by the way. That's how we live each day by the gospel. That's why Paul wants to preach the gospel to the Romans. That's why we're not Jews, why we don't need to get circumcised or not eat bacon. It's We live now by the gospel, and, and we just need to stick to it each and every day. And sometimes it doesn't matter. Uh, sometimes it, we don't need to be reminded about creation. Sometimes we need to be reminded about the life of Jesus. And so each day we, we need to, to remember the whole gospel, and we need to put into use and to practice that which we need for that day and that time so remember the creation the fall the law the birth of a savior the life of the savior the death of the savior and the resurrection of the savior and this was what we should preach to ourselves but it's also what we should preach to other people because other people are hurting and broken and confused about their gender and confused about the the war and about politics and laws and what's going to save us and the bible has the solution for everything for our depression for our anxiety for our worry the, the Bible has the answers to life. Can we trust in that? Can we, can we live our life according to the way of Jesus? Not building up rules and laws and establish all these things that I'll never do this or I always do this. This is who I am. Be, be like Jesus. That's what the name Christian means. Christ-like. We're trying to be Christ-like. If your life doesn't look like Christ, or if you don't know what Christ's life looks like, and you call yourself a Christian, stop calling yourself a Christian. Go read your Bible and figure it out. Ask someone. and Say, hey, this is how I live my life. 
is this is this like Jesus? Like, let's look at that. Let's open up the Bible and see how Jesus lived, because we're called to live like Christ, not like Moses, not like the law. In uh, Acts 15, it says that, that Moses has had ev every week. People have been reading it, and no one's gotten saved yet through Moses and the law. We have Jesus now. We don't need to go back to the law. We don't need to go back to that. We we live a life following the Spirit. We have a life because as we believe, He sends the Spirit, and we're able to follow Christ in step if we'll let the Spirit lead us and guide us. And not be worried about the law, but be worried about what Jesus would want us to do, how Jesus wants us to live, because each of us are different. We're in a very different time and different country than what Jesus was. So we have this wonderful comforter that lives inside of us and speaks to us if we'll learn to listen, to lead us and guide us. And that's that's what we need to do each and every day. This is the message. This is what we need to remind ourselves of. And I praise the Lord that he's revealed this to us through his word. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we've we've had to look at your gospel and, and hopefully how to better live our life according to the gospel, not according to the rules, Lord God. And I praise you for your son whom you sent to the earth to die for us. You didn't have to. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. This has just been on my mind lately how amazing your love is for us. Please, Lord God, I just pray that you'd be with those that are going to listen later and, and those that are listening now, Lord, that they would be just blessed by your word and by the amazing love that you show us, Lord. Help us to remember that we're sinners and that even though we were sinners, you loved us and sent your son to die for us. And that's that's making you the Lord of our life. That's that's what saves us is, is our commitment and dedication to you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you did for us. And you're still continually doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.